Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Job 1, 6-13 One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Second Job 1, 1-5 Satan crept through a window into heaven. Upon seeing him, the Lord commanded him to halt. The Lord asked of Satan, Why have you crept into this holy place, spider of deceit? At the Lord's word, Satan took the form of a spider with legs as tall as the angels. You have a new servant cut out from the same cloth as your servant Job, Satan replied. Would you put the same confidence in your servant Jackson as you once did Job? Why would you see my servant Jackson tested? The Lord asked of the spider. Satan replied, I believe you have lavished an abundance of blessings upon Jackson to keep him true to you as you lavished upon Job. I wonder, Almighty One, if you fear hardship will shake the solid faith of Jackson. It is not so, answered the Lord. The spider, Satan, said, Then, Lord, Allow me to test the will of Jackson, so we may both learn if there are limits to his faith. The Lord said to Satan, Then, again, everything he has is in your power, but on Jackson himself do not lay a finger. And still in the form of the spider, Satan crawled out of heaven onto the earth. Jackson Winkler and his son Drew were cruising down I-35 on their way to a youth soccer game. His wife, Casey, couldn't come because she was attending their two daughters' jiu-jitsu tournament. That's what weekends were like for the Winklers now. 
With each season came a new sport or activity, a new schedule. Somehow it seemed like the schedules never aligned to allow Jackson and Casey to both watch their children perform. Oftentimes, after church on Sundays, the Winklers would sit in the living room and cast videos from the previous day's competitions onto the TV so the whole family could watch the highlights. Jackson was never frustrated by the kids' busy schedules. His gratitude for having three healthy high performers and a wife who was willing and able to help them succeed overrode anything else he might have felt. He thanked God for his perfect family every night before closing his eyes. How you feeling today, champ? Jackson turned his head to ask Drew. Drew wasn't big enough for the front seat yet. Feeling good, Dad. Practice was awesome yesterday. I think we're going to crush it out there. All right, that's what I like to hear, cheered Jackson. We've got about ten minutes to go. Want to pray for everybody's safety and good time? Can we pray that I win? Drew asked earnestly. Jackson smirked. He remembered being young, thinking God was a wish-granting genie. His old attitude toward prayer had taught him to pray consistently, though. If praying for a win on the field got Drew into the habit, then so be it. Sure, go ahead, he said. He reached for the volume dial, turning down the Christian hit radio station they always listened to. Dear Lord, Drew began, thank you for another game for me to use my skills. Jackson looked up at the sky while his son prayed. When they had left the house, the sky had been a perfect blue sheet. The further south they drove, they passed clouds more and more frequently. Ahead of them, possibly right above Des Moines, hovered a dark mass. Silently, Jackson dictated his own prayer that the rain would hold out so the game wouldn't be delayed or canceled. Although, if Drew's game was canceled, they would be able to make it to his sister's tournament. He wondered if, perhaps, the storm ahead was God's device for keeping them all together that Saturday afternoon. A sideways wind cut against the side of the car, making it lurch toward the shoulder. Jackson returned his eyes to the road and corrected their trajectory. What was that? Drew stopped mid-prayer to ask. Just a gust of wind. It's pretty cloudy ahead. I think there might be a storm moving in, Jackson said. Drew resumed his prayer. Lightning flashed inside the dark mass ahead. Jackson sucked his teeth. If there was lightning in the area, the game would surely be postponed. Here, buddy, he said, stretching his arm back to hand Drew his phone. Keep an eye on this for me and let me know if your coach calls or texts. I have a feeling the... Another burst of wind slammed against the side of their car. Jackson clamped down on the steering wheel, which vibrated with the rumble strip until he steered them off of it. If they had hit the gravel shoulder going 70, they would have spun into the ditch for sure. Praise God, Jackson whooped as he righted the car. That was a close one. But another driver, a long-haul trucker headed north, hadn't been watched over so well. When the wind hit his trailer, it started to tip. The trucker steered into the wind to correct the tilt, but when the gale suddenly stopped, he oversteered to correct. His trailer jackknifed. Dad! Drew screamed from the back seat as Jackson stomped on the brake. The jackknifing trailer blocking both lanes started tipping over right in front of them. There was no time for prayer as the trailer fell. Jackson woke to a throbbing headache and ringing ears, but he was grateful to wake up at all. He lifted his face out of the airbag and touched his chest and stomach to make sure nothing was bleeding or broken. He could breathe. He could see. He assumed he would be able to hear in a minute or two. He was okay. Praise the Lord. 
Thank God for airbags, right, buddy? Jackson asked. He pushed away the side airbag so he could turn to look at Drew. Buddy? Drew said nothing. When Jackson turned around to look into the back seat, he saw everything had gone white. He squeezed his eyes shut and opened them, trying to reset his vision. He thought maybe he had hit his head harder than he realized. But when he opened his eyes again, he saw the back seat of his car, in fact, the whole back half, was gone. In its place was the top of the overturned trailer. Drew! Jackson screamed. He prayed his son had been ejected from the car. He prayed that by some miracle his child had not been crushed beneath the semi-trailer. It had happened so fast, it didn't seem real. It all felt, somehow, reversible. God, Jackson mumbled as he fumbled his seatbelt latch. I don't know what's happened, but please let it be okay. Please let Drew be alright. Don't take my son from me, please. Above him, the dark mass had closed in. Lightning flashed amongst the clouds, making Jackson look up through the partially torn away roof. The lightning split out in eight directions from a single point. It looked like a spider. Jackson had never seen such a thing. Then the dark mass above began to rain down. After Jackson was cut out of his car by an emergency crew, the rest of the morning was a hazy string of events. His last coherent memory was of asking one of the paramedics if a boy had been found safe and receiving a solemn head shake in reply. He kept hearing talk of tornadoes in the area as the crew looked him over and prepared to leave. Jackson was taken to a hospital, he didn't know which one, and responded to the nurses' and doctors' questions with single-word answers. He almost always followed up each response with, I need to call my wife. While waiting in his room, Jackson absently stared at the TV mounted near the ceiling. Nothing happening on the screen registered with him until he saw the sign for a familiar restaurant laying sideways on the ground, sprayed with dirt and leaves. A nurse came in at this moment, and he asked her to turn up the volume. Pretty scary out there, she said as she picked up the remote. I think it's going to be a busy weekend around here. The news anchor was saying, Entire neighborhoods were leveled before the sirens even went off. Experts are still trying to determine how a cyclone of this magnitude could have formed and touched down without any warning. The picture switched to a still shot of another building familiar to Jackson, and his heart rate monitor suddenly spiked. You okay, Mr. Winkler? The nurse asked, noting the alarming change. He tried to answer, but only shivered and made a shaky, breathy sound. Mr. Winkler, what's going on? Jackson took his phone out of his pocket, forgetting it had been smashed between his leg and the center console in the crash. He could make the screen light up, but could do nothing else. He clicked the side button, displaying the screen, and saw no calls or texts from his wife. Let them be okay, Lord, Jackson finally said. Please, God, let them have gotten out. The leveled building on the TV was the jiu-jitsu academy that had been hosting his daughter's tournament. The ticker running at the bottom of the screen said, Emergency personnel confirm multiple dead after spontaneous storm. Search for survivors underway. Please, God, Jackson prayed again. He started to sob. Over the weekend, 
the search confirmed the deaths of Jackson's entire family. The tornado that had killed them also leveled their house and the furniture store he owned. Insurance would pay for both buildings, but they had so many claims to process and pay out that Jackson was told it could be up to six weeks before he saw a dime. Fortunately, his fire safe with $500 cash survived the tornado. He used some of this money to pay for a cheap motel after his discharge from the hospital. Jackson spent all of his time in grief and prayer. Everything had been taken from him in a single hour. Now all he had was the $500 from the fire safe and the small amount of cash in his wallet. He and his wife had never taken out a credit card. He did have his debit card in his wallet, but there was probably only $20 or so in their checking account. Most of their money was in savings, and it was a healthy amount. But without his phone, Jackson couldn't access it. The bank had suffered terrible damage in the storm, and without a car, Jackson couldn't leave town to get what he needed elsewhere. After two days in solitary grief, someone knocked on the door of Jackson's room. He opened it and squinted at the harsh sunlight that poured in. Jackson, brother, a familiar voice said. Jackson's eyes finally focused on the face of his pastor, Vic Bao. The pastor embraced him, and Jackson sobbed tearlessly. He was too dehydrated and weak to shed tears. Jackson spoke while Pastor Vic listened silently. He let Jackson go on and on, describing everything that had happened, explaining his current situation, and outlining his unanswered pleas to God for some form of salvation. It sounds terrible, but lately I've been praying for God to just take me too, Jackson said. I should be grateful that I'm alive, but somehow being the only one spared makes me feel guilty and... and jealous, Vic. I'm jealous of everybody that died. They all get to be together in heaven while I'm left here like this. He gestured at his humble room. Vic's eyes focused on a surprisingly large black spider that had built a thick web in the corner by the bathroom. He shuddered. What you're feeling is not only understandable, I think it's natural, Vic said, and I'm sure it's forgivable as well. Jackson, you've been a cornerstone of our church, you and your family. They'll be enormously missed. I'm sorry, I don't mean to rub salt in your wounds, but it's true. You've always been such a good example of a servant. We can't change what's happened, and I don't think God's going to pull off that level of miracle in these times. But I hope you can start looking to the future soon. I hope you can regain that servant's spirit and turn your heart toward God again. It must be really difficult to see right now, but God must have a plan for all of this. Nothing happens outside of his will. Unless he turns his will over to someone else, Jackson stared coldly at the pastor. Vic said, I'm sorry, I don't quite think I follow. Wasn't it just last year you did that series on the book of Job? All the devil had to do was ask, and God handed him his most faithful guy. Vic put a hand on Jackson's shoulder and said, Those were different times, Jackson. You know that. That was the Old Testament. The way God behaved, the way he interacted with us, with the devil, it was all totally different. It doesn't feel different to me, Jackson said. I don't know how anyone but the devil could have done this. The spider moved and drew Pastor Vic's eyes to it again. 
it bounced on its web, and the most bizarre observation occurred to the pastor. It looks like it's laughing at us. Second Job 5, 1-7 And Satan returned to heaven. God sent his sentry of angels to retrieve the spider, Satan, and bring him into his holy court. God spoke unto Satan, Though you ravaged and stole all that Jackson covets on earth, his heart still calls out to me. Satan said to the Lord, Your servant Jackson is indeed of faith to rival Job's. Grant me one request as you granted me in the testing of Job. Would you touch my servant with sickness? The taking of Job's health broke his spirit but did not break his faith. Have you no shame, spider, to come to me begging to harm another servant who has shown me earnest faith from birth? And Satan replied, No, I come with yet a new request. Job faced his temptations. Let Jackson now face his. Why, spider, do you believe you can tempt a faithful man now when you failed before? asked the Lord. Job resisted temptations offered by his well-meaning peers. Let us test Jackson against temptations offered by one who would see him destroyed, the spider, Satan, replied. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, let us see Jackson tempted. However, with this allowance, you shall still not lay a finger upon my servant Jackson. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Four days into Jackson's stay at the motel, his envelope of cash was dwindling. He had still received no word from the insurance company on when he would receive his payout, and even then, he wasn't sure how he was going to access that money once it was deposited in his account. He could have used some of his $500 and change to get a ride out of town, but the only people he had left in his life were a few friends who had survived the deadly tornado and Pastor Vic, all of whom were still in town. To leave would be to abandon the dangling threads of his support system and Jackson couldn't bring himself to do that. Jackson's friends had stopped by to see him once each. They all had their own woes to deal with, none as tragic as Jackson's, but difficult nonetheless. Pastor Vic had come by again on the third day to make sure Jackson was still, in Vic's words, doing okay. Jackson had told him he was doing as okay as could be expected, and this had seemed to satisfy the pastor. He had left Jackson with a prayer and some parting encouragement, which meant little to Jackson. Jackson was struggling to keep his faith, but he still held on to it. 
He found that Pastor Vic's prayer and the verses he had shared seemed cheap because they were meant to keep Jackson calm rather than solve anything. Jackson didn't want to be calm. He wanted to grieve violently. He wanted to feel the entire weight of the tragedy for his family's sake. He missed them all so much, far more than the house or his business or his stupid car. Jackson found he could experience the loss and work through it via his own prayers, though, so his faith persisted. He felt more listened to than ever when he laid on the floor in his motel and poured out his heart to God. Sometimes he did so silently, others aloud. What did he care if the neighbors heard him? Most of them were probably going through the same pain as him. Jackson rarely felt hungry, but he forced himself to eat at least once per day. The only option for food, unless he wanted to walk all the way through the flattened town, was a convenience store three blocks away. Before heading there at the end of the fourth day, Jackson counted his cash. He had about $120 left in the envelope. The motel charged rent daily, and the owner didn't seem like a very merciful man. So, tomorrow, Jackson would have $45 left, even if he spent nothing on food that night. Since he wouldn't be able to afford the rent in two days anyway, he decided he might as well burn some cash on a meal. As he walked to the convenience store, Jackson prayed for his insurance payout to come through. If it didn't clear by tomorrow night, he would be out on the street. He grabbed a protein bar, a banana, a small bag of chips, and a bottle of water, which rang up to a grand total of $12.89. When the cashier asked if he wanted to round up for charity, Jackson still said yes. Eleven cents wouldn't make much of a difference to him either way. He handed the cashier a twenty. She counted his change from the till while Jackson bagged his humble meal to carry it back to the motel. He noticed a small black spider hunkered down next to the register and wondered if the storm had displaced all of the spiders he had been seeing everywhere. He hadn't noticed so many before, but maybe he had just been distracted by the kids. When the cashier handed Jackson his change, she made a mistake. Instead of a $5 bill, she included a 50 Jackson paused with the mouth of his billfold open, hungry for the extra change. If he slipped that 50 into his wallet, no one would be the wiser. Not until the cashier closed out the drawer later that night. It's a miracle, a voice in Jackson's head whispered. It didn't ring like his own internal dialogue. He could not have explained how, but the thought seemed to have come from somewhere else. For another reason he couldn't describe, Jackson looked at the spider crouched by the register. He looked back at the cashier. She was young, maybe 17. This was probably her first job. She was just beginning her life. Not even. She was writing the prologue. Was she saving up for a car with this job? For college? How much would getting 45 bucks docked from her check hurt her? That $50 bill will give you shelter for another day if you just walk away the foreign voice tempted. This is true, thought Jackson, but what if she needs it more? Everything all right, sir? The cashier asked. Jackson realized he had been standing, frozen, for an awkward length of time now. He also noticed the spider had slipped away. Um, no, I mean, yes, yes, everything is fine, but I think you accidentally gave me this. He handed her back the $50 bill. Oh my gosh! the cashier exclaimed. Oh, wow. 
I probably would have been fired for that. Thank you. She opened the till and gave Jackson a $5 bill, then tucked the 50 safely towards the back. She said, Thanks for being honest. Most people probably would have just walked away. Jackson tipped his head to her, smiled, and said, God bless. The sun had set and none of the streetlights were operational since the storm, so the street was quite dark on the way back to the motel. As Jackson passed a damaged flower shop, a man dressed all in black stepped out from behind the next building down. He approached Jackson and waved a thick blade in his face. Jackson dropped his bag of food, raised his hands, and stepped back. Pick that up, the mugger demanded, pointing his knife at the bag. Jackson obeyed. As he stood again, he thought he saw something move inside a hole in the wall of the building behind the man. Give it to me, ordered the mugger. Again, Jackson obeyed. He turned his daily meal over while silently praying for safety. Now your wallet, the mugger said. Jackson replied, Look, I'm sorry, but I don't have much. My family and home were... I don't care, said the mugger. He waved his knife dangerously close to Jackson's nose. Okay, okay, Jackson mumbled as he reached into his pocket for his wallet. His eyes caught movement inside the building again. He froze with horror as two hairy appendages sprouted from the gaping hole in the wall. Two more followed, and then the fuzzy pincers of an enormous black spider. The spider kept the rest of its body hidden in the building's interior shadows, but Jackson thought it might have been as big as a horse based on what he could see. The mugger grunted, Keep your eyes on me. I can end him, the same voice from the convenience store whispered in Jackson's mind. You can keep your food and money, just say the word. No, said Jackson. The mugger poked Jackson's cheek with the tip of his blade and said, Excuse me? Turn around, Jackson said. He indicated with his eyes where the mugger should look. He said, Yeah, I'm not falling for that. Command me to kill him and he will cease to exist. He might have a few of his own dollars in his pockets. He won't need those after I feast on his blood. Sir, I'm not messing around, Jackson said. He was about to say, there's a giant spider behind you, but realized that would make it sound exactly like he was messing around. Who are you? Jackson asked via thought. It doesn't matter who I am, only what I can do, the spider said. This man hurts people every day. He hurts his own children. He robs and cheats to fund dirty habits and sinful addictions. He helps no one. You would not steal from an innocent cashier, but this man would not hesitate. Maybe he's heading there next with his pointy knife, hmm? Maybe he'll empty the till you graciously kept full. Maybe he'll empty that innocent cashier onto the floor. Your wallet, now, the mugger ordered. I'm done playing around. Jackson pulled out his wallet and tossed it on the ground between them. With his knife pointed at Jackson's chest, the mugger stooped and picked the wallet up. As he ran off into the night, thankfully away from the convenience store, the spider retreated. Jackson prayed. Having no food when he returned to the motel, Jackson went straight to sleep. Despite his hunger, sleep came easily for the first time since the storm. 
One second he closed his eyes, and the next he opened them in a familiar park. Not only did he recognize the park, he knew what day it was. His wife's birthday. His mind had recreated the setting perfectly in the dream. Jackson ran his fingers through his wife's hair as she reclined against him on a blanket. The kids were all running free in an open area, playing together. Everyone was smiling. Everyone was happy. They're perfect, aren't they? Casey, Jackson's wife, asked. Three little blessings, Jackson replied. Sometimes I don't feel like I deserve them, Casey said. Jackson laughed off this ridiculous statement. Casey scolded him. Hey, maybe you don't ever feel that way, Mr. Perfect, but don't laugh at me for it. I'm not laughing at you, Jackson defended. I'm laughing at the idea that you don't deserve three amazing children. You know they're so amazing because of you, right? Everything you've done from them, from carrying them inside you until now, has made them who they are. Three little blessings, Casey repeated. That's right. The couple sat, quietly watching their kids run and smile and laugh, and then a spider crawled onto Jackson's hand. He tried to brush it away, but it jumped onto the hand he used to swat it instead. Did you know you were in heaven? The spider asked. What? Jackson asked. He looked down at Casey to see if she had noticed the spider and saw that she had frozen. He looked at the children. They too had frozen in place. One of the girls was suspended in mid-jump. Jackson brought his hand up to stare into the spider's many eyes. You had heaven on earth, said the spider, and God took it away. Who would I be to question God's will? Jackson asked. You think it was God's will to smash your family? You think God wanted to crush them all beneath trucks and buildings? Foolish man, it was my will. I killed them. I destroyed your home and business, and God allowed it. I don't believe you, Jackson said. The spider laughed a hissing, clicking laugh. I, the father of lies, for once am telling the truth. But there is a way for you to reunite with your family. You could be in heaven again. For see, God made a deal with me as he did in the days of Job. You know of Job, yes? I know parts by heart, Jackson replied. Then you remember there were conditions to our deal then. This time, God has allowed that you may enter heaven even if you murder, yourself of course, in response to my torments. He meant this allowance as a safety net for your soul, but since you have clearly beaten me, I offer this information as a token of surrender. A life of continuous grief awaits you here. End it and you can be in bliss with your family instead. I don't believe you, Jackson said again. It matters not to me. As I said, this information is simply a gesture of goodwill to you, the victor of our little game. Sure doesn't feel like winning, and I never signed up for any game, Jackson retorted. But the spider had crawled away before he could notice. Rather than reanimate, his family slowly faded, until Jackson jolted awake in his lonely bed. The clothing bar set into a shallow indentation in the wall glistened in the faint light coming between the curtains. 
Jackson would not have ordinarily noticed such a minute detail, but the spider's words lingered in his thoughts. He could remember them more clearly than the memory of that day in the park, as if his mind was a tape recorder and his talk with the spider had overwritten portions of the original memory. One other object reflected light into Jackson's squinted eyes. The buckle of his belt on the floor. Jackson slid out of bed and turned on the light. Then he turned it back off. What he was about to do was a thing for the shadows. He looped his belt around the bar and tested its strength with a sturdy tug. It would hold. The only problem was the bar wasn't high enough to hang from. He pulled one of the laces out of his shoes and tied one end around each of his wrists. As he bound the knots, he prayed. Lord, I know I shouldn't trust the devil, but if you can believe it, he seemed sincere. If it weren't for the chance to get back with my family, I'd still have ignored him, but you've got to understand, that's something I can't pass up. I apologize for the harm I'm about to do to my body, your temple. His prayer trailed off as he positioned himself below his looped belt. He stepped through his arms so his hands were behind his back, then lifted one leg until it touched the shoelace bridging the space between his arms. He wanted to make sure he would actually be able to lift his legs high enough to catch on the lace. He put his head into the belt loop and felt the buckle cinch down slightly. But Lord, I don't know what to do. In truth, I do feel like Job. My spirit is devoted entirely to you, but I'm not sure how much more my earthly heart can take. Jackson was somewhat disgusted, but overall unsurprised to see a spider crawl out of the shadows on the wall and onto the glimmering reflection on the bar. Here to see me off? He asked. Because this is the last time you'll see me. I'm going to. To. Something about the spider made it seem like it wasn't there as an audience. Jackson felt like it had arrived to perform a task. Something terrible and final. Something about the spider seemed eager and hungry. Here to see me off? He asked again, but this time more to himself, as if testing the idea. No, he said. You're here to collect. You really are the father of lies. Jackson scrambled to remove the belt from his neck, but with his hands bound behind his back, he had to rely on only his neck to extract his head. And each movement he made, no matter how slight, caused the buckle to cinch a little tighter. God? Jackson cried out tearfully. I repent. I want to live and fulfill whatever your purpose is for me. The sharp corner of the rectangular buckle bit into the soft flesh at the base of his skull. Lord, you didn't want me to die this way, did you? Please, show mercy. Please show me a miracle and get me out of here. The spider dropped down on a strand of web and hovered just above Jackson's shoulder. There, it spun, legs dancing victoriously. Jackson's vision darkened. He took long, deep breaths when he could catch them and held the air as long as possible. He needed his hands. He couldn't escape without them, barring a true miracle. He lifted one foot up and through the string, but then the muscles in his thigh went numb. He didn't have enough oxygen in his blood to operate his larger muscles effectively. Now with one leg caught stupidly and the other straining to balance on the floor, Jackson had a choice to make. He could continue waiting for a miracle, or 
he could try to get his other leg through and regain the use of his hands. He silently prayed, Lord, give me strength, tensed his neck muscles, and hopped his other leg into the air. Jackson's entire weight now hung from his neck. Already he could feel a threatening strain in his throat. He forced the formerly free foot backward with force he hoped would create its own momentum even if his muscles failed. But his second leg quit responding faster than the first had. Both of his legs were now trapped beneath his weight, which was all suspended by his neck. This was the end. Jackson suddenly found himself believing the spider again, believing he was on his way to see his family, that he was taking a shortcut to get there, that was all. And what else could he have thought? The alternative, the most probable reality, if he would have let himself admit it, was that he was about to spend eternity separated from the family he had loved so dearly and lost so suddenly. And then, as if reminded by heaven in answer to his prayers, Jackson realized he could still feel his arms. He couldn't move his legs, but he thought he might be able to pull his arms around them. He had some difficulty activating his biceps without any contact with the floor, but he felt the shoelace move enough to give himself a boost of hope. Rather than pull forward, he sawed the shoelace back and forth across his shins, bringing it a little closer to his knees with each repetition. The spider stopped spinning. Before Jackson could bring the shoelace to his knees, it snapped. His legs dropped to the floor, and although they were, in essence, useless, they did support a percentage of his weight and allow him to draw a truncated breath. He had only enough strength to raise his left arm, but with it, he clasped the buckle. He held it in place as he shifted his balance slightly and drew out some of the belt's tension. He worked slowly, taking plenty of time to breathe until the belt was loose enough for him to remove his head. The spider was gone. Jackson prayed. Second Job 13, 1-4 and the spider returned to the court of the Lord, crawling low in shame. The spider said, Your servant has prevailed against three temptations. He is most surely devoted to you. I surrender our competition for his soul. The Lord replied, Then hereby I order Jackson be rewarded from your personal treasure. I command he be compensated for the damages done twofold. I command these things of you as a deterrent from future meddling with the faith of my most loyal servants. And the spider retreated in silence. The Lord observed Satan's doings closely to ensure he repaid his servant Jackson. Over years, in the time outlined by the Lord, Jackson's prosperity returned, and his faith never waned until the day he died naturally, a wise old man. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram at The Warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into The Warning Woods.
Thank you for listening. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.